Have you ever been sick? That's a silly question. I know. Of course you have. You're a person in a body in this world with troubles and viruses and diseases. Most of us, thank God, live in pretty good health. We go about so many of our days not even thinking about our bodies. But the moment we fail ill, perhaps with a cold, or maybe throw your back out, oh, happens, or break a bone, it's all you can think about, pain, discomfort, your limitations. You're suddenly aware of the gift of good health, and it's gone. You kick yourself for not being more grateful when you're well. You realize you lived a miracle of happiness and wellness every day until the sickness started. But have you ever been sick for an entire year? For five years? How about a decade living with an ailment? It's almost destroyed me. Financially, I bled my family dry. And to add insult to injury, the care I received wasn't even very good. We spent all we had on doctors. And how can you get good medical attention when the doctors themselves are afraid to touch you? And then the mind starts playing games. What if this is the new normal? What if this sickness never goes away? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something to deserve this? And then the most terrifying question of them all, is God punishing me because he's displeased with me? Believe me, I wasn't just beating myself up. The law told me I was unclean. Moses wrote about about my condition like this. When a woman's discharge of blood flows many days, all the days of her discharge, she is unclean. Any bed she lies on, any furniture she sits on will be unclean. Imagine not being able to hold your spouse's hand to greet a friend in the street or share a meal. Imagine not being able to hold or touch the face of your child you love. And if your child does touch you, if in a moment of joy or pain, your spouse reaches out to touch your hand, if in a moment of forgetfulness, a friend greets you and sits down on the same bench you're sitting on, <laughs> then they, do, they too become unclean and must wash everything and isolate until evening. I couldn't buy food in the markets, prepare a meal for the family, Everything I did and anyone or anything I touched was tainted. My life, my very presence was a burden to everyone I knew at first. Then it was the terrible, shameful reminder of sin. For 12 years. Then Jesus came into my life into the world, into my world, into my 
city street. (laughs) Oh, I've heard him of his humble birth, of the miracles he performed. The blind could see, the lame could walk, the deaf could hear, and demons raged out of bodies into the abyss at his command. I heard that he taught with authority, loved little children, was born of a virgin in a manger of all places. He shamed the wisdom and pride of the Pharisees with simple, powerful words. He was the Messiah sent by God, just as the prophets promised to set us free from the oppression of our enemies. I heard the stories about Jesus and sat in awe, alone, in my dark room, hidden from the world in my wretchedness. And then he walked down my street. Christmas for many has become this beautiful but strange celebration that so often overlooks the simple and shocking human story of Jesus's advent into the world. There were there we were humanity alone lost without hope desperate forgotten powerless to help ourselves, but so in need of help, unclean and unable to make ourselves clean, so in need of God's touch. And suddenly, there he was among us, God's answer to us all, all of our pain, the great healer, our redeemer, on my street. And so I ran to him. I reached out my hand. My friends, oh my friends, in a single moment as I reached in faith to touch the hem of his garment, Jesus healed me. (laughs) I was so afraid to be in the crowd that my touch might make everyone in the crowd unclean, make Jesus himself unclean. Then I was in the midst of the crowd within reach, breaking the law to be set free from its impossible demands. My uncleanliness was erased right there for all to see. On my first Christmas, when Jesus walked into my street and entered my circumstances, he transformed my darkness and pain in a moment. (laughs) He brought all my hope to life. Sisters and brothers, Jesus came into this world to help you in your pain and helplessness. This Christmas, may you see that he is present in your life and body to bring you the living hope. Wow. Wow. We are 
here today because hope, hope is not an abstract theological thought that's somewhere out there. We're here today because Jesus brings hope right to where you are. The woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched the hem of the, of the garment of Jesus and hope came into her life. I would contend that hope burst in her heart just before Jesus passed by. Maybe if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. I'm believing that today in your situation, right where you are, in the midst of all of your personal flaws, in the midst of the the situation that you find yourself in, I'm believing that hope is going to invade your life. Sitting in this room right now are difficult situations. Sitting in this room right now are people in, in some tough spots. What we need this morning is the hope of Jesus. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Candace, for that powerful illustra- illustrative drama. Praise God. How many firstborn children do we have out there? I can tell who are the firstborns. I can tell. I can tell. You get all the glory. Everybody notices you. You probably do work harder than anybody else. You took care of everybody else. How many youngest child children do we have? Ah, yeah, there we go. I, David's got his hand raised. I knew it. I knew it. Um, spoiled. How many of you would, what did you say? Save the best for last. That's how they feel. That's how, that's how all the youngest feel. How many of you... How many of you would raise your hand with me and say, I'm a middle child? (laughs) The middle children, we have middle child syndrome. We got stuck. Did you know that August 12th was National Middle Child Day? (laughs) Nope, neither did I. I. I didn't know it either. I didn't know it either. The oldest sibling draws a picture and everybody goes, wow, you're a genius. My child is a prodigy. The youngest child draws a picture and everybody says, oh, it's adorable, just like your little face. And the middle child draws a picture and the parent says, you know, paper costs money. (laughs) Who gets left at the mall? The middle child. (laughs) Nevertheless, uh, in a story, we remember the beginning and we love the end. But you know the whole story, where does it happen? It happens in the middle. The chapter's in the middle. I want to read a verse that's very familiar to you. And I want you to notice the middle child. And now abide faith, hope, 
and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 13. You know who the middle child is? The one that we talk the least about in the church. We, we talk, our, our, the name of our church is Faith Church. We talk a lot about faith, right? And we talk a lot about love. And, and these things are rightfully so. We're going to talk about those things in the coming Advent season. But you know, the middle child, the middle child, hope. Hope is an ingredient that I believe that our world could use a whole lot of right now. This weary, tired world could use a dose of hope. I need a reason to get up in the morning. What I need is hope. The middle child. Hope is the chapters of life that carry you. In, in the in-between places, what we need is hope. When we don't have yet attained, it, when we haven't yet got out of the jam that we wished that we were so much out of, what we need is that middle chapter, that middle plot of the story called hope. I haven't got to the end yet. I haven't seen the results yet. I haven't received the reward yet. But the story is moving along and I've got something. I've got something of substance in my heart. I've got hope. Oh, praise God. And the story is written by hope or the lack of it. The lack of it. Hope. This world that we live in is crazy right now. And we try to identify the reasons why. We talk about things like absent fathers, the removal of prayer from every public space, the removal of God in high places, governments. I know nobody in here has ever blamed the government for anything. These all add to what I believe to be an even greater dilemma. And that greater dilemma is people that are living with no hope. But Jesus came, friends, to bring hope. Hopelessness is an epidemic. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred. What is that? Hope that is taken away. Hope that you used to have but no longer have makes the heart sick. It makes the heart sick. How can you start a business or even get excited about a job if you have no hope? How can you persevere through mundane days if you have no hope? What keeps you going in this world, getting up day after day after day? Is, is it your lot in life, the routine of miserable days? After miserable days, is that your lot in life? Hopelessness leads to physical dilemmas. Hopelessness leads to depression, anxiety, fear, even a weakened immune system. People that are hopeless uh, can't fight off sicknesses as well. Hopelessness steals purpose 
and it lessens satisfaction in life. Hopelessness puts people in the hospital for physical problems, but mental problems. Hopelessness is the root. Many disorders aren't medication problems or hormone problems. Many disorders that doctors even deal with are hope problems. Remember the line in Pollyanna after she fell off the roof and she was so sad. And uh, the gentleman, I can't even remember his name, says what that child needs is a good shot in the arm of hope. Hope. With hope. You can get through of all of those things. With hope, you can get through seasons of joblessness. You can get through seasons of financial difficulty. You can get through seasons of relationship trauma. You can get through it all. Without hope, you come to the same conclusion that Solomon came to. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Like Pollyanna, we need a good shot of hope. And while hope deferred makes the heart sick, a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hallelujah. And I'm believing that the good news of life in Christ Jesus is going to touch every one of us, whether you're a believer yet or whether you've been a believer for a long time. Sometimes if we've been living for Jesus for a long time, our hope meter lessens and lessens and lessens when God wants it to increase throughout our walk with him. Here's some good news from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It's not just for graduation cards. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Someone with hope might be in the same situation as you, but they're not in the same situation as you. They're not, because hope changes everything. Praise God. God, give your people something to hold on to this morning. Give your people something to to look at of substance that will become an anchor in their heart. Hope alters outcomes and shifts destinies and motivates and heals. Hope changes the course of nations. I believe that. I'm going to say that one more time over our nation. Hope changes the course of nations. If you agree with that, clap your hands and say amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. And it works in the lives of individuals. What does hope look like? Hope looks like Joseph sitting in a prison cell. He was thrown in there by his unjust brothers and uh, sold into slavery and put in there by a woman who falsely accused him. But hope uh, looks like Joseph sitting there in the prison cell, still remaining faithful to God because he knew that God was still in control of his life. That's what hope looks like. What does hope look like? Hope looks like Hannah. Hannah's barren. She has, she has uh, no way to have children. And yet there she is at the altar, pouring out her heart to God, clinging to him, knowing that God can do anything. Hallelujah. That's what hope looks like. 
Hope looks like Paul and Silas in the prison, knowing they were going to die that night, but there they were singing hymns to God, giving him praise, giving him glory. Conversely, the famous atheist, Jean-Paul Sartre, he's not that famous because I didn't know who he was before I found this out, declared that he so strongly resisted feelings of despair as he approached his death. Despair was overcoming him. He had to resist the feelings of despair and he would try to encourage himself and say, I know I shall die in hope. But then in profound sadness, he would follow that up and add, but hope needs a foundation and I have none. Wow. My first point this morning, I'm getting to the meat of what I want to say. I'm going to move through these points quickly this morning. Is this, hope requires a foundation. Have you ever said to somebody, just lift your chin up, have hope. And you have found out very quickly that just saying those words can often just add to the dilemma. Because you cannot just shake yourself and start living differently. You need some substance. You need a foundation. Hope does not come without a foundation. This is why you can entertain yourself until Jesus comes back you can binge a show, which, which I have done a few times. You can binge a show, but you get to the end of the show and it has done nothing for you. Because entertainment, as distracting as it is, it might chew up some hours of your time and make you feel good for a moment, but entertainment has no foundation. And it does not provide Hope. Sports fans are interesting. I spent of all I spent all of 2016 hoping. Effort, fanfare. I think I went to a game that year. That's about my, the extent of, of my spending as I maybe go to a game once a year. But you wake up the next morning after your team wins it all. And you say, okay, now what am I going to do? Rooting for other people, for them striving to fulfill their dreams and goals. While they do nothing for you. They don't care about you. They don't know your name. It's fun, but rooting for other people only goes so far. It has no foundation. So we jostle a lot, each other, here about Cubs and Cardinals because we know that the Cubs are a lot better than the Cardinals. We know that. 
But friends, we've, we've, we need something with substance. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's uh, take, take a moment and read some of these scriptures. If you want to look it up in, in your Bible or on your phone, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 9. And Peter is reminding us about the source of our hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, none of us deserve it. He has given us new birth into a living hope. This is the song that we just sang. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the beginning of the message. We're going to go on in just a moment. Let me pause there. If you've never experienced Jesus as your Savior today, you can experience the new birth of Christ. Hallelujah. You can confess him as your Lord and Savior. It's with the mouth that we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord, and it's with a heart that we believe unto salvation. And you simply say, Jesus, here I am. And Peter says that when, when we do that, his mercy is poured out upon us. And for the first time, guess what happens? We become a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We become his son. We become his daughter. And we're born again into the kingdom. That's what that phrase means, to be born again. It's a spiritual term of what happens in your heart. You become a child of the living God. What an incredible way uh, to start the Christmas season by saying, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. Thank you, Father, his mercy. And then... Verse 4 says it's not just that he's poured his mercy out. It's not that we, we've just been given a new birth. Uh, this, this is a living hope. This is a living hope. Can I remind you that Jesus Christ, uh, as much as we're, we focus on his birth, he is not in the manger anymore. Can I remind you of that? As much as we, we celebrate the cross, which I believe is the turning point of all of history and the turning point of my life, the cross, Jesus is not on the cross anymore. Jesus rose again from the dead, just like we sang about this morning, and he's alive forevermore. He's seated right now physically at the right hand of the Father, but spiritually he lives inside of me and everyone who has confessed him as Lord and Savior. This hope that we have is not of yesterday. It's not just the learning of doctrines that happened thousands of years ago. It is alive today. It is a living hope. Praise God. And you, verse 4, says that you have an inheritance in Christ that can never perish. <laughs> it can never spoil. It can never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. This is this is what God does for you now. He shields you by his power 
until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What, What is Paul, or what is Peter doing here? Peter is giving them reason in the midst of their trial to have hope. To have hope. And right now you're suffering. And right now, you have grief. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Praise God. The Cumberland Presbyterian Church is important to this city. It's because of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church that Lincoln College ever existed. Without the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, Lincoln College would not be in existence today. It was a Lincoln Cumberland Presbyterian Church that in the fires of revival started a school to send missionaries around the world and leaders in the kingdom of God. And thus began Lincoln College. Last week, my friend and their pastor, Steve Blaum, went to be with the Lord. I didn't spend enough time with him, but on several occasions, we went fishing together. I outfished him both times, praise God. He was known for his jokes, but today he's standing in the very presence of Jesus. He's received the reward. He's received the salvation of his soul. Praise God. My heart is extended out to that church this morning. Even a month ago, he was in the pulpit preaching under great duress. Hope. This is our foundation. Jesus gives us Substance, a living hope. The world runs after the accumulation of things. The world runs after entertainment and distractions. The world runs after life as good as they feel it can get on this side of eternity. And perhaps you've been living for those things. But the grass withers, the flowers of the field fade, and it comes to nothing. But those in Christ carry substance. They look further down the road. Our inheritance doesn't rise and fall with the stock market. Our inheritance inheritance in heaven that God has for us 
Nobody can remove it from me or take it from me. You look at my life and you say, Pastor, what's your net worth? <laughs> what's your net worth? We compare notes. Because of my house payment, I think my net worth is still like in the negative. But I've got treasure in heaven that nobody can take away. Hope requires a foundation. Number, number two, I'm going to get faster with each one. Give me 10 more minutes. And everybody said, I hope that happens. <laughs> Number two, hope is always forward looking. It's always looking ahead. Amen? Self-made millionaire Eugene Lang went, was invited to a sixth grade classroom in East Harlem in New York where the graduation drop or where the graduation rate is incredibly low and the dropout rate is predominantly higher. He had been asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders. What could he say to inspire these students, most of whom would assuredly drop out of school? He wondered how he could get these uh, predominantly black and Puerto Rican children in, in substandard living situations to even look at him. And so he scrapped his notes and he decided to just speak from his heart. Stay in school, he admonished, and I'll help pay the college tuition for every single one of you. At that moment, the lives of the students changed forever because for the first time, they had hope. Said one student, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling, and nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school. Why? Hope. It wasn't just money. Something entered into their heart. It was hope for a future. It was forward looking. Romans 8.24 says, who hopes for what they already have? Nobody hopes for what they already possess. Oh, I, I, I hope, I, I, I used to hope that, my, that, that Cammie would, would say yes. I don't have to hope for that anymore because she did 30 years ago. Hope. Nobody hopes for their current situation, what they already possess. Hope is forward-looking. You have not attained it yet. It's coming, and that's why you hope. That's why the windshield on your car is bigger than the rear-view mirror. It's good to glance at what's behind you every once in a while, and in your life, it's good to remember what's happened in the past so that you don't make the same mistakes, so that you remember what God has done. Those are good things, but you glance in the rear-view mirror, but the windshield is 
is what you are looking through. You are moving forward. Hallelujah. And Peter, in his letter that we just read, keeps us looking forward. We stopped at verse 9 earlier, but I, I want to look at verse 13. Verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, I'm reading from the New International Version um, in, in this, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Hallelujah. Can I remind us this morning? Can I remind you that Jesus Christ is coming again? Hallelujah. He came the first time, but Advent, the very word, as you heard it in Cammie's message on, on Facebook, that the word Advent means coming. And Christ, Jesus Christ, is coming again. Hallelujah. And Peter said, hey, set your hope on his second coming when he is revealed. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot that I want to happen in this life before he comes. But my heart joins with the Holy Spirit and the end of the book of Revelation that says, I, I want all this to happen. But even so, come, Lord Jesus, come even now. Hallelujah. I am looking forward to the coming of Christ. Amen? Oh, praise God. He is returning. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that someday the trumpet is going to sound. That wasn't a very good trumpet, was it? That wasn't very good. Dud. The trumpet is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise, and we who are alive are going to be caught up together with Jesus in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. And I am looking forward. I'm living for that day. Hallelujah. There's a lot of days in between. I, I, maybe. But I am looking forward to that day when I'm caught up together with Christ. Hallelujah. That never gets old. It's called, in fact, it's called the blessed hope. Glory to God. In all of the struggle, in all of the difficulty, and it is all going to be over, and I'm going to be raised up with Christ forever. Glory to God. And at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, now that you know this, encourage one another with these words that Jesus Christ is coming back. Glory to God. That's our hope. That's our hope. Praise the Lord. Hope number three, and this one is very quick, is sure and steadfast. So hope has a foundation. Hope is looking forward. And hope is sure and steadfast. When I have hope, guess what I have? An anchor. And in Hebrews chapter six, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul both sure and steadfast, both sure and steadfast. This hope isn't moving around. It isn't shifting like sand. It isn't uh, the society's change. We've, we're watching our society change. I believe we're going to watch it again change as revival breaks out in America. Hallelujah. But uh, hope does not shift. It is an anchor in my heart. It is sure and steadfast. 
nobody can ever convince me. He's talking with a, with a girl that, that, that served at Subway. I was the only customer there a couple weeks ago, so I, I stayed there a little longer. And I was talking with her about what she believes. And she said, oh, I don't believe in God. And, and I said to her, and she gave me some argument as to why. And I said, I said to her, well, um, the reason that I believe in God isn't because of a theological discourse that seems smarter than my current position. Somebody just convinced me mentally to, to, to serve God. I said, the reason that I'm a Christian is because... I met Jesus. And I could never deny that I met him. It's possible that I could walk away. It's possible that I could quit serving him, but I could never deny that Jesus is real because I've met him. He's revealed himself to me. We were talking with, with Kay on, on Tuesday, and she said she thought it was a bunch of hooey right? And Jesus came to her with his arms stretched out, whether in an open dream or vision, she does not know. She met Jesus. No fine sounding argument can convince her of otherwise. And when you get a hold of Jesus and he becomes your hope, nothing can move you. Nothing can move you. Hope is an anchor. One day I'm going to meet him face to face and I'm going to see him as he truly is. He knows me that way. I see right now dimly as in a mirror. I'm on this side of eternity. But I have the hope of meeting him face to face and fully knowing him even as he fully knows me. It's an anchor for my soul. And it keeps me immovable and steadfast in my faith. Devil, you can throw whatever you want at me. I know my Savior and my Redeemer. Life, you can throw whatever you want at me. Jesus is the anchor for my soul. Number four, hope brings us all the way through. So, Pastor, what about suffering? Doesn't the level of my suffering determine the level of my despair? As suffering increases, doesn't despair increase the same? And for the world, that might be true. But for the believer, <laughs> absolutely not. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I was thinking about Obi-Wan Kenobi speaking to Darth Vader. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. That's for you Star Wars fans out there. Let me read to you some scripture from Romans chapter 5. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character 
hope. <laughs> and hope does not put us to shame. So where does it begin? Suffering. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Pastor, that's the message I wanted to hear. Trials and tribulations. Trials and tribulations. But I'm telling you, friend, when you get a hold of Jesus, it changes your outlook. That's why James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you become mature and complete, lacking no good thing. It comes right alongside Paul here. Follow the progression. Suffering, perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. One is born from the other. So, Pastor, what about suffering? And, I, and I, I, I say, what about it? Suffering produces for the believer increased hope. Hallelujah. And, and we, we have the privilege of watching God work in the midst of our suffering. And that's the privilege only the believer has. It's why Christians are uniquely wired to suffer. Because the more pressure that comes upon them, the, 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 the more they rise up in their faith. Look what happened to Daniel. The more pressure that came upon Daniel, the more he rose up. King, you can, you can ask me to bow down to your idol if you want to, but I'm still going to throw open the windows and I'm going to pray in public just like I did before. And I'm going to call out, on, on my God, just like I did before. Suffering caused something uh, great to rise up out of Daniel. I believe that suffering is going to cause something great to rise up out of the church. I believe that, that soon and very soon we could see the tax status lifted off of churches. We could see suffering and persecution come to churches. But don't fear, the false churches will close down, but the real churches will begin to rise up as they suffer because it produces something good. Hallelujah. Jesus was like that. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. There was no sitting down at the right hand of God without the suffering. Paul told the Philippian Christians, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. I wish I could stand here if you're, if you're make, trying to make a decision, am I going to follow Christ or not? I wish I could stand here and say, boy, if you follow Jesus, you're going to get the prize behind door number two. And I wish I could tell you that it would be peachy and roses. It has been granted to you to not just believe in him, but to suffer for him. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Hope. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Another quote by Paul. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Anybody feel like that? As the decades move forward? Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Friend, the troubles that you face, the wrestlings that you wrestle with, the difficulties that you carry, you don't have to deny them. But friend, they are, uh, they are momentary and they are temporary when you compare it with the hope that we have in Christ. The eternal glory that our suffering even increases far outweighs what we're walking through. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Number five, hope must be tenaciously guarded. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest in your hope fully on the grace that's coming with Christ. Gird up your loins. Phrase is a war term. Be sober and make sure you put your hope fully on Christ. It must be tenaciously guarded. And finally, number six, hope is contagious. Hope is contagious. Peter, we read an extensive portion of chapter one, but in chapter three of, of first Peter, it says this, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. Wow. Believer, do you go to work just as sour as everybody else? Do you go to work with the same mindset that the world has? Or have you spent time with God, prayed on the way to work? You, you've, you're, you're rejoicing and you get in there and, and everybody else has a scowl on their face, but you've got hope in your heart. And your hope is not because you got another eight hours at work. Your hope is because Jesus is, is anchored in my soul and I am born again and I am a son of the living God. And come what may today, nothing can take that away from me. And you live that way, and people begin to notice. And they begin to look and say, what's different about him? What's different about her? There should be something different. Students at school, you, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. There should be something different on you than, than everywhere else. Hallelujah. There should be something different when you go, when you go to uh, get, get your food and uh, you, you're sitting down to eat and you're thankful for the food that you have and not complaining about how terrible it tastes. And people begin to notice what's different about you. And Peter says this, be ready because people are going to ask you, what is different about your life? And be ready to give an answer as to the reason for your hope. 
But do it with gentleness and respect, not arrogantly, keeping a clear conscience so that those who wind up speaking maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may eventually be ashamed of their slander. Hope is contagious. People want it. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me up here. We're going to sing that song again, Living Hope. And as we sing this song, we're going to close with this. I told you 10 more minutes. I took 17. I apologize. Not really. It's a half apology. I want to believe for God to touch you. Not just with words on a screen and a song, but with genuine, real hope. Do you know how much Jesus loves you today? Do you know how much he cares about you? He comes right into your situation. He redeems the Caleb's of the world. He touches people that didn't think that they were worth touching. He ministers to the unlovely, and you might feel that way. But he gives beauty for ashes. And he gives the oil of joy for mourning. And he gives a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Father, I just thank you. Your presence is in this room. God, I ask that you would touch every heart. God, as we get ready to go have chicken together, as we get ready to share a meal, God, what binds us together is not the things of this world, but what binds us together is the hope that we have in Christ. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would lift up the one that has forgotten how good you are in light of the distress of life. God, we're frail as humans. We just freely confess that. We're not jars of silver and gold. We're jars of clay. And yet you've chosen to put the treasure of Christ inside of us. We turn our hearts to you right now. God, I just lift up one in this room that's struggling with their life situation. They don't know how they're going to get from where they are to where they need to be. And it's been just such a difficulty. But right now, I pray that hope would be their portion. God, not because they know all the answers to what they should do yet. They don't. But because they just simply confess with their mouth the God that the God that has kept me this far is faithful. And although I don't see the way out, he is my hope. God, help one today that, that can't see the horizon. Their problem is so big and so close. 
But I pray that you would help them lift their eyes up a little bit higher to see that that issue and that that struggle is relatively small. God, I pray that you would come right to where people are right now. If you're here this morning, everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed, just for the sanctity and the privacy of this moment. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I, I need you to pray with me because really, to be honest with you, I have not had hope. And I want, I want you to pray for me that hope would, would come into my life again. If that's you, just lift your hand up to the Lord. You might be a believer. You might not. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Hands going up all over this room. Thank you. Jesus, just asking right now that your touch would be upon these with their hands raised. Raise their hand before you. Be their living hope. God, it's not by accident that they are here. They made the decision to come, but really it wasn't even that. You drew them by your spirit that they might experience you today. Ask another question before we sing the song and just allow the Lord to to minister today. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, but today you would simply want to say, you know what? I... I want to yield my heart to him. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise up your hand right now. Say, Pastor, that's me. Jesus died for me, and I want to receive him. I'm just looking across this room right now. Anybody at all? Say, yes, that's me. Thank you. Anybody else? God, I pray that you would come in to the heart of each one as we cry out to you. For the sake of this one, let's all pray this prayer together from our hearts. Repeat it after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into my life, for shedding your blood for me, I don't have much, but I yield it to you. I ask that you'd forgive me of my sin and help me to follow you. Be my living hope. In Jesus' name, amen.